been spending a couple of weeks looking at the Ten Commandments. Last week we looked at the first four, which were dealing primarily with our relationship with God. The next uh, five through ten, six, will be uh, dealing with our relationship with each other. And uh, just a couple notes. Paul, when he was wrestling with the effect of the law, just makes this comment. He says, it reveals sin. It, it helps us understand what sinfulness is. He also makes a declaration, the law was made for lawbreakers. And it, it indicates that by our own nature, we wouldn't necessarily do the right thing. Uh, you know, the easiest thing to point to is our road system, you know, with the laws that we have. And I guess if all of us were polite and considerate of each other, we could have four-way stops without stop signs, right? Um, doesn't work particularly well without that. But, uh, you know, that's, that's just a simple illustration. Or the speed limits are there because some drive like nuts. They just will not drive fast enough. And there's others that got to... Uh, but I, you know what I'm saying? We, we have these laws so that um, we can work together. In the same way, when God brings these laws, um, you know, there's a, the subtitle, Love Your Neighbor as Yourself. And Paul says, you know, the subtitles are these Ten Commandments. But what we should understand is that that's like, more like a minimum standard. And, of course, Jesus raised the bar substantially with these different laws. But what we're to, to glean from it is that as we chew on these things, there are things that affect our lives that we can look at and say, I need to up my game here. If I'm going to pursue excellence, I can change this area and improve. And, and so... We look at that and say, I truly want to be guided by the Spirit of God to have His law written on my heart, so to speak. I want this, the law of the Spirit to guide my decision-making. But when I go back to this, what's on the paper, it helps me open the door to some things that maybe I haven't thought about for a while. So that's why I want to walk through these. And just note this. When, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they'd been 400 years in slavery. Now, how many think that their view of God was real high all through that time? My assumption is that doubt filled their hearts. Where's God if we're living like this? People of God, chosen by God, Abraham's promises. Uh, you know, even, even Moses, 80 years old when they come out, remember at the time of his birth, they were being told, throw the male babies into the river. That's not very good treatment for them as a people, is it? So they had been under incredible pressure. And when they come out, they didn't necessarily have it all put together. I mean, even, even their parents had, had been idol worshipers. Remember? You know how they had to bury them under the tree when they went to go worship? So, you know, that said... This is what they're coming out of, but God's developing a people. So he takes them to Mount Sinai, and he starts laying things out and says, this is how you need to behave. 
And so let's walk through some of these. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Uh, When Paul rephrases this in Ephesians chapter 6, he is writing about the whole topic of submission. And he, he lists several different people groups in that. And then he talks of children, obey your parents. And in that same thing, he also lists that there's a promise for the people that respond this way. So you begin to ask yourself, well, what's, what's the big deal? And, and why, why would there be a promise to attach to that? And why would he pull this out and say, this is the first command with a promise? I was looking at that, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, chewing on it, and, you know, I begin to, to realize that in all of us, there is a desire for self-rule, right? All of us have this wish to call the shots, and it comes out early. Um, I was told that my first spanking came from spitting egg on my dad uh, out of sitting in the high chair, just decided I didn't want to eat it. And uh, he said, before I knew what happened, I pulled you out and swatted you, and then I felt terrible. But uh, this little monster had, was exerting self-will. Well, that said, uh, it doesn't take long for a child to learn to say no, right? And as soon as they can start talking, they're telling you what they want and what they don't want. So where does this fit? Except that, Parents have a better understanding of what needs to take place, even a better understanding of what nutrition needs to happen, better understanding of who you are. I mean, who roots for you more than your parents? Who has a better insight into your upbringing than your parents? Who has more experience than your parents. Yet all of us are walking through that season where we've wished to throw off that rule. And yet the truth is, if we can learn to calm that desire for pushing for our own way, there's opportunity for us to learn for those in authority over us. Isn't it true that often, you know, you land in a job in the first week, those over you, you're just saying, if I run in this place, I know what I'd do. And it takes a little while to start settling it out and figuring out, well, maybe there is some reason for what they're doing. They're not complete fools. You know, you, you, what's the benefit? If you and I can learn to submit to others, if we can learn to respect and honor others, we can actually learn from them. And it opens up the door for blessing and benefit. And so when he's laying this out, he's saying, you've got to rein in this self-will thing. And you've got to be willing to listen to others, particularly your parents, because they're the ones that are rooting for you. The rest of us, well, we don't really care as much. But your mother loves you. You know, it's, you know how that works. And so he's laying out this, this rule. 
this command, say, honor your father and mother. The idea is if we can learn to respect and submit and honor, there's an opportunity for us to grow and to learn and to benefit from any wisdom that they might have. Now, obviously, parents aren't perfect. There's a lot of gaps. But what they do have, they would wish to help you with. Let's go on. You shall not murder. What I look at with this is that there is a need in all of us to learn how to control our anger. Right? That we all have this anxiety that builds up and it wants expression. And when others step in our way or get in the path or thwart us, there's a a response that says, I'm going to run you over. I'm just, you know, I know what needs to happen. I know what I want to happen. Why are you trying to stop me? And it didn't take long for murder to take place on the earth, right? When, you, when, when Cain is killing Abel, it, it, it's obvious in our, in our hearts there's this, what are we going to do with that anger? Isn't it interesting that Jesus lists meekness as a, as a wonderful trait? But when you start to look at the definition, it's power under control. And so if we want to move toward excellence or want to live in excellence, then we take this anxiety or this call to action and we submit it to God and say, what are you, what's your desire in this situation? Sometimes it's just keeping your mouth shut. Sometimes it's just backing off and saying, you know what? Don't sweat the small stuff. Sometimes he'll speak to your heart and say, you've got to do something, but he'll give you method as well that doesn't destroy another but allows opportunity for benefit. Jesus, when he was talking about it, he says, if you call somebody a fool, you've committed murder in your heart. So he, he's looking at it and saying, you don't have the right to just turn this thing loose. But it's got to be brought under submission to the Lord. Paybacks and revenge, you know, insult for insult. We, we get very skilled at such things. Even as Christians, we learn what's acceptable in the group. And we can function within that, right? We learn how to get in our little jabs or digs in such a way that it just, nobody's going to call you out, you know? But it still is one of those things where if I truly want to turn this thing toward excellence and I want to live holy as he is holy, then I have to to look at this and say, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? When I have this tension, what, what needs to take place? How do I honor this person through this conflict that we're in? I mean, if you want to wrestle with such things, just get married. Because every day, your spouse is dealing with an imperfect person. <laughs> and so are you. And there are things that may not change through your entire married life. And you have to be willing to say, God, in your hands. 
or you have to acknowledge that some things may even go to the grave, unresolved. But in the Lord, there's an opportunity for me to be at peace with this if I'll let him work in me. I don't have to win every battle. Let's look at the next one. You shall not commit adultery. In a sense, we have to bring control to the essential desires that are part of our lives. What do we look at the opposite spectrum? What if we can cultivate loyalty and trust with each other so that true intimacy is available to us? You know, that, that, that we can share our hearts fully with each other and not worry about the other, destroying that trust. If we can cultivate this faithfulness that says, you're the one, the only one. If we can walk this line that says, I'm not going to allow myself to just run off in other directions, but this is the path that I'm going to stay with. That's moving toward excellence, right? I mean, Jesus makes the declaration, if, if you've lusted after another woman, you've, you've committed adultery in your heart. Job makes a comment, he says, I've covenanted with my eyes not to look lustily after a young woman. So, I mean, there were biblical writers in, in Jesus making declarations, there's a higher standard available if we'll take it on. But in our hearts, we want to, to say, I want to learn what true faithfulness looks like. I want to know what it's like to truly be loyal to my spouse. I want to take that as far as I can in him, rather than just saying, well, don't commit adultery. Don't get caught with the big ones. You know? But rather setting up that bar of excellence. You shall not steal. Jesus likens, uh, you know, he says Satan's a, a, a thief. And that in a sense, you're taking on him as your father if you embrace that. But our desire for possessions often drives us into taking shortcuts and cheating and doing whatever we can to get the best, so to speak. And on the other side of it, Paul's making this declaration, uh, don't steal, but work with your hands that you may have something to share with those in need. So he says the opposite extreme of that is cultivating generosity, right? So we, we look at this minimum standard that says you shouldn't be taking from others. But if you really want to pursue excellence in the Lord, then you begin to cultivate a, a heart of generosity that says, what could I do that would bless someone else? What can I do that would be of benefit to another? In other words, that willingness to give rather than to just gather. And it's, it's taking on our very nature, right? Our self-nature and saying, I'd rather have God's nature ruling my heart. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. I, uh, I'm not 
exactly sure what makes us liars, but most of us are at some level. And regularly in myself, it's a pride that wants to paint a better picture than what is of who I am, or doesn't necessarily want to confess to what's resident in me. But it's this willingness to say, I'll take a shortcut rather than live the truth, because the truth in this moment, it's kind of ugly. But if we recognize that God doesn't lie and that his truth is what we base our lives on and the consistency of what he does is our hope, then we also cultivate this thing that says, I want others to be able to rely on me the same way. And I want to honor truth and cherish it. And I want it to, to, to hold a place of honor in my life. I want it to be my declaration. And so we, we look at this and say, not, not enough just to get caught lying or to deceive, but to say, truth is so precious to us that we want to be known as a people of truth. And finally, the last one is, you should not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Paul calls the covetousness as an idolater. But he also links it with jealousy and envy, or James links it with jealousy and envy, saying, I wish that someone else's situation or their possessions or their, their station in life, I, I wish that that was mine. And really what it's saying is, I'm not happy with what I have or what is my place but rather I, I wish this for myself instead. And really what it, what it comes down to is to cultivate a contentment of heart that says I can be at peace in any situation. If I, if I am embracing what Christ has done and I believe that he truly has good intent for my life, and that he is working all things together for good to those who love him, then I can embrace even this moment and say, God is good. I can embrace this situation and say, he will bring good out of this. He will use this for his glory, and he will, he will work in my heart in a way that's positive. So why shouldn't I be at peace right now? And why shouldn't I live with a contentment about my life rather than just looking and saying, oh, look at, well, look at that car, <laughs> you know, or house, or anything else. But to be able to say, God has blessed my life, and I'm appreciative of that. So, again, when we walk through the Ten Commandments, I assume none of you have committed murder in the last week. You know, I'd, that'd be a good thing. But there's, there's much more for us to chew on if we're willing. And when we walk through these, it's an opportunity to say, am I really loving my neighbor as myself? Because the truth is, if, you were, if I had to ask you straight out, do you love your neighbor? Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Of course I do. Well, how is that demonstrated? Oh, don't ask me that. I mean, I just, I have warm feelings toward them. You know? They're fools, but I love them. (laughs) Allow it to go a step further and just to begin to walk through and say, God, deal with my heart in these areas. You know, cause me to be a person that embraces submission. It's an ugly word in our culture. But that I might be able to learn from others. You know, help me to, to be meek. To take the, the power that you give me and not say that might is right, but choose to say, how do you want this used? To be faithful. To, to look at my spouse and say, you're the one, this is it. The rest is junk in regard to me. To be generous and honest and content. God, guide our steps. We thank you for the scripture. We thank you that you brought the law. And that you open up for our lives opportunity for excellence in you. We pray that your spirit would guide and direct our steps in such ways. Amen. Whenever law is given into our hearts and our lives, calling us to behavior, it's not because God's capricious and just says, I'm going to make you so miserable by saying this. He's wanting to move us into health and blessing that actually benefits our lives. And so when we get catch these glimpses of what's to be or what can be, it actually is to move us into a place of well-being. Um, some of you know I've been walking through some things with my dad uh, of the last few months because he's, um, he's, he's old and, and it appears that he'll die before long. And I realize there are some things in our relationship that are going to go to the grave. And so God's been challenging me have you truly released this now? You know, it's, it's not going to change, but are, have you been willing to release this? So that was a starting point. And then he takes me back to relationships that I potentially have a, a lot of years left with. And it's like, are you hanging on to this even though there is no promise of resolution now? Or are you going to be willing to release this and live with peace about your life, you know, even though it's unresolved? And uh, that's been a challenge. I'm finding out some things about myself that I didn't think were there. But to embrace that and say, you intend good out of this for me, so you knew that none of us is perfect, and so there are these complications no matter who we're associating with, but God calls us to a standard that is higher than what most of us have embraced to this point. And yet there's a beauty to it that will bring a joy to life that's only available as we truly respond to him. So I encourage you, just take it to heart and say, Lord, I know you have good intent. I may not understand it in this moment but help me to trust you enough to start functioning in that, believing that you'll reveal in time why. 
May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to walk in your presence, guided by your will. I ask, Lord, as they go into the community that you give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. I ask that you equip them with the supernatural. Be exalted and lifted up, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. In 